Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Uh, appreciate all of our listeners. Um, we You can't donate to this podcast, but you can leave a review at Apple. Um, really appreciate when you do that. Um, if you don't know how to do that, just Google, um, leave a podcast review on Apple, and that helps more people connect with our podcast. The podcast works because brave people come forward and share their stories, and we've just created a space as a community um, for people to share their stories. And um, as I've read the outline of our guest today, I'm just deeply moved by his courage to share his story. And um, welcome to the podcast, Jake Yates. Thanks, Richard. I'm happy to be here today. Um, Jake, as I've, you know, one of the things I do for um, ask our podcast guests, if they'd like to, to sort of put together an outline, because I don't want anybody to finish their podcast and think of things they wish they had said. And and um, Jake has done a great job. I can see his outline here. But as I read it yesterday, I just was moved with the courage for Jake to share his story. He's going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. He's in his mid-30s. He um, has two sons, I believe. Yep. Um, he's a returned missionary from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Served there in 2006 through 2008. He is an MBA in healthcare management. Lives in Logan. Um, grew up in Sandy, Utah. Um, Jordan High School. Uh, high school we're familiar with, at least at our home. And um, he's going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint and um, working to make this work in a he married a woman. He's going to talk about that road. He's going to talk about probably life before he married um, his wife. He's going to talk about all he did to make that marriage work. That marriage ended up not um, working long term. I worked for a long time. He's going to talk about why that ended up not working. He's going to talk about um, his relationship with the church. He's going to talk about now dating men and and being in a long-term relationship and being involved with another Christian faith. This isn't a story to invite people to leave the LDS faith. I think Jake is very respectful of the LDS faith. He served in a couple of bishoprics. It's just his own story. We're honoring individual stories on this podcast, so you can better write your story if you're LGBTQ or if you're trying to learn how to support LGBTQ people. I think the best thing you can do is listen to lots of stories in this space and then get impressions and what you can do to better support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. We said a prayer before we started, and I think our prayer is that this story will help you. Um, Jake is going to talk about um, suicide ideation. Um, that's a big part of his story, and so that's a trigger warning. <laughs> um, but that's the reality that some and maybe many LGBTQ Latter-day Saints walk. And I'm grateful that Jake is in a better spot. And the reason, biggest reason I'm in this space is um, to help do everything, at least in my circle of control, to um, reduce suicidal ideation and, and people actually dying by suicide. And I'm grateful that Jake is alive to do this podcast because I'm not sure Jake thought that would ever happen and that he would never, you know, be present for his sons. And just the journey's on. So is that okay for an introduction, Jake? That's fantastic. So um, the rest of the podcast will be Jake sharing his story, and then I may chime in at the end with some thoughts. So you're on, Jake. Okay, perfect. Um, 
Well, as a, as a listener of the podcast, um, I've got kind of an idea of what I wanted to talk about today. So I've kind of munched it in a few different ways. So kind of the reasoning why I reached out to, uh, to you, Richard, initially to share my story. So I'll kind of start with that and then go through the timeline of my life from beginning to current. And then um, as I've listened to some of um, my fellow brothers and sisters that have been on your podcast, I've, I thought of different things that kept coming to my mind of if someone asked me for advice, what, what would I say? So that's kind of uh, where we'll, where I'll wrap up uh, today. Um, primarily the, the reason I really wanted to share my story is because of a, a, a powerful quote that I heard during Pride Month this year. Um, I'm not sure who the original author is, um, but the quote says simply this, Pride is important because somewhere out there is a confused teenager, or I'll say adult because that was very much me, who still thinks that maybe being dead is better than being gay, and that's not okay. Um, this year, when I when I read that quote, I don't think I've ever read anything that spoke so well to me and how I feel about my life, the trajectory it's on, and really what's what's most important to me. Um, I've had several kind of distantly related family members or friends of family members that have been in the LGBTQ space that uh, did take their own life and. Anytime I hear of one of these stories, my first reaction is, what could I have done differently or what could I have done to keep this from happening? Because we are we have these incredible, beautiful sons and daughters of God who make this world a better place and we, we can't get along without them. And I don't ever want anyone to feel like there's never, never a place for them in this world. Um, so... Uh, thinking about that, so as Richard mentioned, my, my story is a little bit unique um, in that I did uh, was married to a woman for about 12 years. I had two kids, um, but before I get too, too ahead of myself there, um, that's one of the reasons I wanted to be here as well today is because it is a little bit of a unique journey um, to come out as an adult uh, in my 30s. So um, I hope that someone somewhere out there can benefit from from some of the things I have to say and um, that it will uh, make for a better life experience for them. So um, when I first realized I was gay, I was really young, three or four years old. Um, it actually happened as a result of a TV show. It was probably Mari or sometime, some daytime talk show. Um, and I just remember at that time, I wouldn't have had words or thoughts to describe it, but it's one of the most, and probably really one of the only crisp memories I have of my childhood before kindergarten. But it's so crisp, I could tell you in detail exactly where I was, what color the couch was, what direction the TV was facing, everything. So that that's kind of the very first inkling I had. Um, as to why I may have been different. Um, so I did grow up in the church. Um, both of my parents are actually returned missionaries. Um, and I loved, uh, I love my parents. They're absolutely fantastic 
people. And I very much like Nephi, I feel like I have been born of goodly parents and I'm, I'm very grateful for them um, and helping me grow up and develop my own testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so growing up, uh, definitely uh, kind of hid this part of me. Um, and it just kind of progressively got more and more hidden as uh, life went on. Um, so about 12, 13 years old or so is when I really started to realize that I was different and I felt differently about guys than I did about girls. But I also have vivid recollection of hearing the word gay or saying the word gay and, and being told, no, we, you know, we don't talk about that. That's not an okay word. That's, this is what it is. And that's, it's just not okay. So at that point, as a, you know, kind of a scared 12, 13 year old trying to figure life out, just went, you know what, this, this is not a part of me. There's no way. Cause I'm not that kid. You know, I'm trying my best to be kind and generous and give grace to those around me. And so I started building a wall for my own self-protection. Um, so as life went on from there, uh, so really my teenage years, um, I, it kind of became a, a little bit like the sitcom, uh, keeping up appearances on the BBC. <laughs> um, everything was just like, had to be the perfect way to go about it. And, you know, the flowers of my life were perfectly manicured as were the wiped down walls and everything else. If you've ever seen keeping up appearances, <laughs> one episode will, will give you a pretty good idea of what, what that was like for me. Um, I mean, growing up in my teenage years, I always ended up being the deacon's quorum president, the teacher's quorum president, the priest's quorum first assistant. I got called as the priesthood pianist back when we had a three-hour block. So I was always involved in something in church and always typically in some type of a, a position or some type of calling through my entire um, teenage part of my life. Um, and really during that time, that's when I adopted uh, kind of this golden boy persona. So outwardly, I always looked like I did everything right. Um, but in really in kind of within myself, started really feeling the struggle of self-doubt, just feeling inadequate and feeling like a failure um, in a lot of ways. So some very perfectionistic thinking. And then um, in my early adolescence, uh, started really getting a little bit of a taste of being a gay Latter-day Saint. So I had a few friends whose um, parents thought I was gay, and it kind of changed a little bit of how they interacted with me. Um, and I've had a, a few of them that outright asked me, and of course, I'm in this golden boy, protect myself uh, phase. So, you know, I'm denying it until I'm blue in the face. Um, nothing really egregious happened during any of that, but just the fact that I would even be thought or associated in that way is really what um, kind of another one of those things that built the wall a little higher. Um, so uh, with that same golden boy persona started thinking, okay, I, I can't say things like this. I can't talk this way. I've got to be careful about how I walk, how I dress, the things that I like. Um, 
And that's really kind of where I started getting really intense. So um, I really started so hard to try and not be looked at as um, this gay kid. So I started having some very serious internalized homophobia to the point where if I knew classmates or anyone else that was out, um, that I would actively mock them and kick them out of my circle of friends and things like that, because I was so deathly afraid that I would be found out, um, because I was associating with them. So again, uh, you know, a little bit of light teasing here and there, but nothing too crazy. Um, when I started seminary in ninth grade, I really channeled all of that energy and those thoughts into um, really into the church. So as soon as I started seminary, I was really diving into the scriptures continually. I got my patriarchal blessing and ended up reading that once a week for several years in a row, um, just trying to make make sense of this internal struggle that I'm having, uh, but also knowing that some way, somehow the gospel is, is the key to helping me understand it better or getting rid of it. Um, so I did date some girls in high school, just, uh, plain old going out to dances, things like that. Uh, did have a girlfriend my junior year of high school and she and I are actually, uh, still really good friends. I actually got to see her again about six months ago on a business trip. I made out, uh, to, St. Louis, Missouri, and I hadn't seen her in over 10 years. So it was great to great to catch up with her. And we talked a lot about where life was then and where life is now. And it, it was a great experience. Um, so moving into more mission age and up to mid-20s, uh, I did serve in the Wisconsin-Milwaukee mission uh, from 2006 to 2008. Um, had a mostly positive experience there. Um, in fact, one of my mission presidents and his wife uh, serve in the Draper Temple and see my mom there every week and always uh, pass along hugs for Elder Yates. So uh, <laughs> lots of great experiences there. Um, and just I couldn't ask for uh, better mission presidents and spouses. I had two sets of mission presidents and spouses, and they were all just absolutely kind, considerate caring and loving people. And I'm, I'm grateful for the influence they have had in my life because I feel like that those experiences that I had interacting with them and on my mission made me a better person and have made me into who I am today. Um, so I actually did have an incident of, uh, well, I guess a couple incidents of sexual assault, the end of my mission within the last six months. Wow. And that was, um, it was a little intense, uh, thankfully not nearly as egregious as some people's experiences, um, but that definitely kind of put a damper on the last uh, six months of my mission because then having some very traumatic experiences there and being very confused and trying to figure out where I'm at, but also not wanting to come home early and being caught in shame or things like that. Um, and it really wasn't until my mid-20s that I I finally came around and acknowledged that um, I was actually the victim and that it's not something I chose to do because I buried it down 
so deep and eventually it it decided it was done being hidden and uh so uh kind of faced the music at that point during some therapy um once I got home from my mission, I went to Southern Utah University. Um, it's always felt like home, still feels like home. Uh, but that was where I really had my first interactions with more than just a single LGBTQ plus individual. Um, so same kind of thing as, uh, as when I was a late teenager, just kind of tried to avoid that crowd altogether. So there would be no assumptions made about me. And so that, you know, I wouldn't be seen affiliating with them. Um, so I uh, dated and married very quickly after my mission. So uh, I started uh, dating my, uh, my ex-wife uh, the very like first week of fall or spring semester uh, 2009. And we were engaged by uh, general conference weekend in April and married in July. So about eight months from the day I got home from my mission to the day um, we got sealed in the Draper Temple. Um, so at that point in time, I did not, I I did not tell her I was gay because I was at this point in life where I trusted that if I did my best to live, um, live honorably, obey the commandments be in a straight marriage and do the best that I could, that God would take it away from me. Um, obviously not, not quite the case. Um, but I, I really truly believe that doing those things would, would basically qualify me to, to become straight and to not, not have these feelings of, um, being attracted to men. Um, so, um, Marriage was great. Uh, I married a very incredible woman. Um, she is just an absolute rock star and has been a a great support with me. And we we are actually still pretty good friends. We co-parent really, really well. Um, but she's she's an awesome gal, and um, more of that in a little bit will kind of show you what what her character was um, and how that has really benefited my life and helped me out. So um, about uh, probably six or seven years into my marriage, I started uh, noticing that we just had intimacy problems. And again, I was sitting there thinking, okay, what's what's going on? And so I approached um, at, at the very first one, I started feeling that even just a year or two after we got married, uh, approached my married student ward bishop and said, "I think I, I think I'm gay. I'm not sure what to do. What advice would you give me?" And his his response to me was, "Don't ever tell your wife, and don't ever tell anyone else because there's no way you're gay." And so I just kind of went, "Yep, okay. Well, the bishop said it, so we're going for it." Um, still a great man, I think. Uh, you know, he was doing the best he could to help me and help this young marriage to continue to grow and blossom as much as possible. Um, so once I, we kind of wrapped up at SUU, my wife graduated with her uh, bachelor's degree, and then we moved up uh, back to Salt Lake uh, for me to go to the U of U uh, to get my bachelor's degree in social work. Um, and that, that degree I loved, I love my social work program, but that degree helped me 
in so many significant ways I didn't realize at that time. And a lot of that was my exposure to a vast majority of members of the LGBTQ community. I had, you know, I was as a white LDS, we'll say straight presenting man, I was actually the the minority in this group, which is one of the reasons I got into the program because I was the minority, which was a little bit uh, a little bit of a strange thing to figure out. But um, I started really listening to a lot of these folks' stories, and as I started listening to them, I started realizing how much they were like my own. And so we continued to go on this path. I graduated with my bachelor's degree in social work. Um, And then from that point, I very slowly started kind of acknowledging um, that the feelings I had towards men weren't weren't the normal, uh, weren't the normal things for a straight guy. So um, I kind of at that point decided that I was going to cross the finish line and endure to the end, no matter what. If I was torn up, bloodied, bruised, what whatever it became life at that point started becoming about just surviving to the end. Um, no, no joy in trying to endure, just trying to endure. Um, at that point in my life, in my mid-20s, I I was bent that I would go to my grave with this secret and that no one would ever, no one would ever know. And um, there's actually a picture of the savior in Gethsemane. Um, it's the title is actually Gethsemane, and it's painted by Adam Abra, and it's probably one of the most descriptive pictures to how I felt at that time. And that was one of those moments where I really had a strong revelatory experience and helping me better understand the atonement of Jesus Christ. And that no matter who I was, what I looked like, any of that, that he understood what I was feeling perfectly. So that that helped a little bit and um, really helped my testimony of the gospel solidify um, even more. Uh, At that point in time, I actually became acquainted with uh, the book Believing Christ uh, by Stephen E. Robinson. And there's a a part of that book uh, that I'm going to read to you, just a, a small excerpt from it. Um, that this has become so much more meaningful in in my life as as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, So he says, God uses no magic wand to simply wave bad things into non-existence. The sins, or I'd say the things that he remits, he remits by making them his own and suffering them. The pain and the heartaches that he relieves he relieves by suffering them himself. These things can be shared and absorbed, but they cannot be simply wished or waved away. They must be suffered. And as I really realized that, it was, again, another one of these strengthening things to me to help me understand really how the atonement of Jesus Christ was working in my life, but also realizing what an ally and friend I had in the Savior, um, which benefits me more now uh, than it than it did at that time, uh, but really set the foundation for uh, a continuing faith and love for the Savior. Um, so 
kind of reaching my mid my mid twenties, I ended up being called as the first counselor in the homeward bishopric. Um, my wife and I lived in uh, at the ripe age of twenty five. Um, I was very affectionately known as the bishopric baby, <laughs> so it was a it was a little bit of an interesting experience. But um, being in that specific calling and being kind of viewed again as this golden boy that really started to wear on my uh, mental health and my emotional health where I started feeling a very a very intense feeling of being two-sided that there's this kind of side that everyone sees that you've got you know brother Yates that is this appears to be this spiritual powerhouse has everything figured out that nothing goes wrong in his life, but he's happy all the time. Um, while on the inside realizing that I'm, I'm deteriorating away, um, for my mental and emotional health. Um, about that time is when I really started to actually acknowledge that I was attracted to men, but still was not in any way, shape or form ready to, to share that with anyone. So, uh, life kind of changed, changed to that point. Uh, we had our first son who was born in 2016 and that really changed my perspective on how I thought heavenly father viewed me. And that's only increased exponentially as my kids have grown up. Um, so I started really seeing my heavenly father and the savior as these incredibly loving, nurturing, kind, caring, compassionate people that were different than how I pictured them, like almost a kind of an aloof, but caring and kind. But as soon as uh, we had our first son, I started really recognizing what my imperfect love that I had for my son, how much greater that is from my father in heaven towards me and um, and towards all of his children. And that's really something that, again, helped me with my paradigm shift and helped me know that he's really there, that he really loves me, that he knows, he knows my heart, he knows who I am, and that, you know, he's, he's going to, to love me. And that's not a, a conditional love. Uh, like I had always kind of forced, I guess, forced upon how I felt about Heavenly Father and the Savior. So um, from my mid-20s to about 33-ish years old, I I guess the best way to describe my life was trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Um, So my depression started getting pretty intense, really intense, actually. I had some pretty serious anxiety building up as well. Um, Had a few little minor panic attacks and things like that that kind of put me out for a little bit. And then that's when um, I really thought about taking my own life is because I had all of these feelings and all of these thoughts and things that I, I could not cope with. I didn't have the tools. And I I was so bent that I would again keep this this part of me hidden from everybody. Um, so again, my, my ex-wife is just 
an, an absolute rock star. Um, I am, I am very grateful uh, for her to this day because she, she is the reason I'm alive and her intuition as um, a mother and as a spouse, um, she actually uh, saved my life several times uh, because she's, uh, she caught me before I had actually taken my life. So we, we kind of escaped by the hair of our hair of our teeth on that one. But um, yeah, I, I really can't say enough great things about her and what that's done for my life going forward. So um, after that uh, first attempt, I realized that, you know, I really needed to take better care of my mental health and I needed to start actually addressing some of these things. Um, so I started going to therapy, absolutely loved it, had a great experience. Um, you know, at that, at that time, um, I was like baffling my doctors because I'm like, I just don't feel any like sexual attraction to my wife and I don't know what's wrong. Like, I don't know if it's these meds that I'm taking now to help with my depression and anxiety. And we tried all kinds of concoctions, um, and then I guess, you know, now it's like, surprise, uh, you're gay and you're in a mixed orientation marriage trying to make it work, but it, it's not working. It's, you know, it's just not, um, not how I'm programmed, so to speak. So uh, life kind of continued on from there. Uh, I got my MBA in healthcare management at Western Governors University. Uh, loved that experience. Again, another kind of one of those things that... Um, continues to bless my life to this day was, uh, is my education. Um, at that same time, uh, I had started that degree the month before my first son was born and I finished it about three months before my second son was born. So we were serving in a bishopric, going to school, doing all these things. Um, but it was, it's, it's always been a good life. Um, at that point, shortly after my second son was born, we moved uh, up to Murray to be a little bit closer to my ex-wife's family and um, back to her old stomping grounds. And within less than less than a year after being in that ward, uh, I was called to be the second counselor in that ward's bishopric. So at this point, since 25, I'd done nothing but serve in a bishopric and then when we moved a very short stint as the primary pianist and ward organist, which by far to me are the best two callings you can have in the church. So, um, so getting into that bishopric was great. I absolutely love that bishop. In fact, I actually found out that his wife and I are, I think we're second cousins once removed or something like that. Our grandmothers are, uh, our cousins. So however that works out, but it was great to, um, great to be a part of them, and they, they're they still a very big part of my life. Um, so once I was called back into the bishopric in this new ward, all of those feelings of being two-faced and really feeling like the eye was on me and just the overwhelm of that um, really started getting me struggling again. Um, my marriage started struggling more. And then I finally kind of came to this realization that I am not going to make it out of this life alive if I don't, if I don't start acknowledging 
what's really been the issue the whole time and what I've known has been the issue. And that was acknowledging that I'm attracted to men and and I'm gay. So I kind of at that point, again, did my best to give it its space. Um, I, I've always been pretty good about keeping a regular journal, um, but I started really getting very into journaling and trying to get my thoughts out and really try and work through all of that, um, but was kind of still bent on this. No one in my life is ever going to know this part of me. This is between me and God and what I write down in in my journal, and that's the way it's going to stay. Um, so once I hit 33, um, when I came out, um, I thought of I thought of a scripture that really kind of hit home for me. Second um, Timothy chapter one verse seven: For God, if God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And as I thought about that and really took how I was feeling uh, to the Lord in prayer, I realized that at some point I was going to have to just be brave and and just say something. Um, so little did I know that uh, when COVID started, that was what was going to kind of spiral and tear down my world before I built it back up. Um, so shortly after the pandemic started, I lost my job, so I was trying to look for a job. And during all of that, I had plenty of time to think and consider different things. Um, and that was uh, the, the last time that my uh, wonderful ex-wife was there and very in tune with the spirit and um, saved my life again um, from suicide. So with the the change in the world with the pandemic and everything else that was going on already in in my head and everything else it it really just kind of spiraled and kept getting worse um so finally i realized in september of 2020 that that i had to give this time and space that i i could not just try and take this to my grave because otherwise i i really wouldn't have made it um I wouldn't have made it to the end. So I worked up the courage. And the first person I talked to about it was my wife. Um, and I was um, scared to death of what was going to come about of that, um, just because I, I love my kids. And I was nervous about how that might go. But I knew that at that point, we needed to we needed to seriously consider this and and figure out what we were going to do. So at that point, um, I told her and her reaction was the exact opposite of what I was expecting. Um, she came from a great place of love, care and concern. Um, so, in fact, her exact words to me um, after I had rambled on and spilled my guts, um, she just said, I am so sorry you never felt like you could talk to anyone about this before. And again, just that was exactly what needed to be said at that point in time. Um, and we had a very candid conversation about what the future might look going forward. Um, that if we felt being in a mixed orientation marriage was going to be the right thing for us, that we would pursue that course. Um, so shortly after that, um, 
I kind of, I don't know that I stepped out of the closet. It's more like I ran out of the closet a little bit. So um, the day after I told my wife, I went and uh, talked to my parents and had a little bit of a, a mixed reaction there. Anything from surprise, anger, confusion, disapproval, any of that. Um, I mean, that's coming from knowing this for, you know, 30 years and then dropping a bombshell like that on them uh, was definitely a shock to their system. Um, so they did their best at that time to uh, cope with it and uh, really talk to me and help me understand um, and really help uh, guide me to staying in the church and doing the things that I needed to and um, basically kind of the same kind of keeping up appearances um, that, you know, this is something that can just be known in private and it doesn't need to go anywhere else. Um, so at that, at that point, uh, I kind of secluded myself to a lot of prayer and fasting and reading of the scriptures, trying to understand what, what God would have my life look like and what I should be doing. Um, I figure if anyone knows me well enough, it's him. And that that's, that's the best advice I could get from anyone. Um, I had some, uh, some, some fun interactions with friends. I had several friends that as soon as they found out that I came out because of course word travels fast. Um, they, I got calls and texts from my friends going, it's about time. What took you so long? And so that was a, a little bit of a startling surprise to me. Cause I'm like, I wasn't even sure what was going on with me. So I don't know <laughs> how I could have told you, but I'm glad that, uh, you know, that they were there and happy to, to be a support to me. And, um, and be there for me as as I needed them as I kind of worked um, worked on this journey. Um, so at that point, I knew that there was one thing that was going to kind of answer everything that I needed to know, at least at that point. Um, and that was, again, turning to the scriptures, fasting, praying, and really seeking personal revelation and knowing what um, what. I should do and where the Lord needed me most and how he needed me. Cause at that point I kind of stripped away everything and went back to the basics of what, what do I know or what do I have faith in? Um, and I, the first thing that I knew is that I wasn't a mistake. And so understanding that made it so much easier to cope with everything that was going on and uh, really to find find my best way forward at that point. Um, as I was seeking revelation, um, kind of the, I guess the scripture that kept coming back to my mind um, was Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. Um, and as I thought through that, um, I'm a pretty social creature as it is, I'm pretty extroverted. So the social aspect of um, living with someone, having a life partner, having a spouse, I knew would need to be something that I, I had in my life, um, to live a happy and successful life. So at that point, um, we kind of realized and, uh, that, no, well, I kind of realized two things. One that, um, 
I was not going to marry a woman and I was not going to live on my own. And the second one um, was that I knew that I wanted my uh, my ex-wife to get remarried to a, a wonderful straight man that could give her everything that she needed and everything that she absolutely deserved that I couldn't give her in in our mixed orientation marriage. Um, there were a great deal of many cry sessions, <laughs> many, many tearful um, interactions and things like that. Um, during that process, it was it did cause a lot of heartache um, and rightfully so um, on both of our ends. Um, but I had some great um, experiences as we kind of went through that process. Um, the first one was meeting with uh, the bishop who I was uh, then serving with as a second counselor. Um, and we just sat down with him and had a very frank conversation. And um, I told him that um, I was gay and I was trying to figure everything out and just wasn't sure what to do and what my best, best path forward was at that point. And um, I love the man to death. He's just absolutely in tune and was, I've, I've never served with someone that it literally felt like revelation was flowing directly from heaven into him. Um, so as we sat there, he's like, he told me that he wanted to share an experience with me. And uh, that experience was while he was in the temple choosing counselors uh, for his bishopric, that he had the distinct impression that while I was serving as his counselor, that I would come out, wow. that this was a, this, that I needed to be his counselor for that very reason. Um, so it was, it was a very powerful experience um, to sit there. Um, I mean, shortly after that, uh, I did get released, not because of my orientation, but mostly because I had so much to process through and with, um, you know, determining where marriage would go and all of those things that it, it really was necessary to, to do that. Um, I met with my state president as well. Amazing man. I would, that meeting is still one of, of my favorite meetings I've ever had with a priesthood leader. Cause we just sat down and we talked as brothers and he was just straight up with me. And he said, okay, I want you to tell me what the worst case scenario is in in this and i said the worst case scenario is i leave the church and i marry a man and he just kind of sat there and looked at me a little puzzled and he goes really that's that's the worst case scenario you could think of and i'm like yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure that's it and um he i just remember this so vividly he he kind of looked down for a second and then he turned up and looked at me and he said the worst case scenario here, Brother Yates, is that you can't manage this and you take your own life. There would be nothing worst case scenario than that. He's like, I would rather see you be married to a man and living a happy, fulfilling life than seeing you be unhappy and taking your own life as a result. So he's like, I, I want you to seriously think about that and and receive your personal revelation for your best path forward. But he's like, never lose sight of what, what would truly be the worst case scenario. Um, 
so that point again, uh, my my ex wife and I decided to uh, divorce. Um, to this day, we've been divorced almost three years, um, but we've done very good at co parenting. Uh, she's dating an incredible guy um, that I can just tell loves her with all his heart. Um, it just it's it's kind of an interesting situation to be in because uh, she knows she knows my partner and I know who she's dating and we've at some point all kind of met each other and um we uh her boyfriend and i actually had a nice little sit down conversation a couple weeks ago just for a few minutes and we're just chatting about kind of life in general and where it was at and um i was really touched actually he's like i really appreciate how well you and your ex-wife co-parent he's like you guys have some some special way that you you can do this together he's like this is so unusual to see a divorced couple that are still so in sync and are still so easily able to get along and help each other out um so again i married i married great the first time so i'm i wouldn't change it even if i could um so from that point uh, i started uh, dating men. I went on a lot of first dates uh, and started realizing how much the pandemic really changed dating <laughs> in the last 12 years. Um, so my my biggest difficulty was finding someone that would be respectful of, of my faith and my values, because I knew the church was still important to me. And I, I mean, I, I will go to my grave still knowing that the church is true, that the doctrine is correct and having a testimony of Jesus Christ and his atonement and, and the gospel. I, I just, I've had way too many experiences that have testified to me of the truthfulness of the gospel. Um, so, uh, I just knew that I, if I was going to date anyone or, uh, have a life partner or a, a future husband, that I needed someone who would understand those values and that faith and be very respectful of it, um, even if they didn't feel the same. Uh, so I uh, ended up going to a uh, single adult ward for about a year. Um, at that point, I was actually comfortable in my own skin for a change, uh, which was great. So I, I didn't hide anything about my sexual orientation um, at that time. I I had a boyfriend and like my elders quorum presidency knew I had a boyfriend, my bishop did, and everyone was just like, you know, kudos for you, that's great. Um, but I it was probably one of the first times I've been to church that I felt safe just to be me. Um, and I absolutely love that. And I think a lot of that is attributed to um to that great bishop and his sensitivity for. Um, the LGBTQ members in his ward. Um, yeah, I never, I never felt like I was ever under a target, or never felt like I was being excluded for anything, um, which was really what I, what I needed at that time. Um, so I did end up dating a guy for about fourteen months. He was not out to anyone, um, and unfortunately, things kind of. Uh, went their separate ways. Uh, our priorities kind of stopped aligning with where where we wanted life to go. Um, 
So at that time, we just kind of decided it was best to part ways and parted ways. Um, and then uh, actually not long after that, I met uh, my my partner, uh, Brandon, and I, I've nicknamed him my knight in shining armor. Um, uh, and not long after meeting him, I was just, I knew absolutely that this was the person I was going to spend the rest of my life with. So I, after a month of dating, uh, Brandon lived in Logan. I was still living in Sandy at the time. And after one month of dating, I packed up my life and moved to Logan. Um, so I, my, I remember how startled my parents were that I was just picking up and moving because that, you know, also affects things like parent time with my kids and having to drive from Logan to Murray every week and things like that. And, um, I remember my dad distinctively asking me, he's like, how serious do you feel about this relationship on a scale of one to seven? And this was while we're packing up my stuff. And I go at this point, a solid eight. Like I, I am willing to pack up and move up there because I'm certain that this, this is it. This is, this is my person. Um, and since then we've been dating, actually it was 17, 17 months on Monday. Um, so as we, um, as we've been dating and whatnot, um, I realized how much we we kind of complete each other. Um, I'd always heard the term help meet and has been a term that I've I've actually studied quite a bit because I I really wanted to understand what that was like. Um, and a lot of that was uh, while I was married to my ex-wife, just trying to understand what what the kind of the difference between a spouse or a helpmate or a helpmate is. And then once I met Brandon, that's really what um, where, where I found what that meant. And it was just as much, um, personal revelation and, um, a testimony to my soul when, when I was with him and how, how I feel when I'm with him, um, had several very poignant spiritual experiences, um, that just confirmed that Brandon is, is the guy for me and that I was on on the path that God needed me to be on uh, at this point in my life and and where I needed to end up. Um, so uh, it's it's kind of interesting to think about. So I do travel quite a bit for work um, and have for most of my career. And I never really felt a whole lot of angst or heartache being away um, until I met Brandon. And now it's, I think of going on a business trip and I start getting homesick before I've even left. So, so business trips have become a little, uh, um, a little interesting now. But that was another one of those. I knew that I, I met my person um, when I started feeling that way. So, um, kind of a few other experiences. Uh, so, my oldest son turned eight last year, um, and that was that kind of brought up a whole new group of feelings I, I hadn't even thought about. Um, so it was, it was great. And I was, I'm so grateful for him because he's just a smart, he's a smart kid. And it was absolutely his decision to get baptized, irregardless of anything else. Um, so I was so proud of him for making that decision um, and having that, 
that kind of level of maturity as an eight-year-old to really think seriously about what what he was committing to do uh, as part of that covenant. Um, so it was it was hard to be there and not be the one to uh, perform the baptism or to confirm him. Um, thankfully, uh, one of my amazing brother-in-laws was able to to do that and it was a it was a tender experience for him and it was a very tender experience for me too um it was still hard to to be there and watch um but i did get to participate in some ways so i got to play the piano for his baptism and um the new second counselor in that bishopric that replaced me was actually a friend of mine from high school um and talked with the bishop and uh, agreed that it would be appropriate for me to be able to come up and hold the microphone while my son was confirmed. And um, although not formally in the circle, it was one of those things that just kind of brought peace to my heart, knowing that he's making these covenants. I'm grateful he's making these covenants, but I'm still here participating and and showing my support for him and the decision he made to be baptized. So um Got another one of those to go go to next year when my my littlest guy gets baptized, um, but it was still one of those things that affirmed I'm I'm on the right track for me. Um, so not long after moving to uh, Logan, I started going to uh, First Presbyterian Church of Logan. Um, Brandon actually is a professional organist by trade. He used to be a, a guest organist on Temple Square several years ago. Um, so he plays the organ professionally and is hired to be the organist at First Presbyterian and uh, kind of found my new faith community there. Um, there. It's a very, very welcoming community. What I would always kind of describe it as what I wish um, the members, or I guess I shouldn't say the members, some members of uh, the church could understand. I think it's just something that it's a walking in there as um, a gay man and being welcomed without any regard for my sexual orientation or what I believed or anything else. Um, everyone there opened their arms to me and have always expressed their love and uh, thoughts for for me and of course for Brandon as well. Um, but it's, it's been a great experience to be there, to feel completely safe, to worship God. Um, I, I still very much believe in church doctrine, so I would never actually convert to Presbyterianism. Um, but that congregation has kind of become like, like my, we'll say like my new ward. Um, so it's been fun. I mean, they've been very good to, uh, make sure that I'm involved. So I ended up, in the choir, which was a lot of fun and started really feeling the spirit of those meetings and being grateful that I could be there to, to worship God in a, in a place I felt completely comfortable and completely safe. Um, so these days we've got uh, a busy, busy lives, but uh, we love every bit of it. Um, so uh, my partner, Brandon, actually has three adult daughters. Um, one of whom actually just had a baby and got married a few years ago. Um, so it's been it's been a lot of fun to blend our families because I get to be the dad of 
adult girls, which I just absolutely adore them and would do anything for them. Like they're my own kids. I, I call them my girls. They're, they're just as much my own kids as my own kids are. Um, and they love having their little brothers uh, that are my boys. And then we've all just been absolutely head over heels in love with um, with our little grandson that was born two months ago. So we uh, we have a lot of joy, a lot of laughter and a lot of love in our family right now. Um, and it's been it's been a tremendous experience to be a dad and a grandpa at 35 um, to adult kids and to a little little new baby. Um, but I wouldn't trade any of that for, for anything. Our family is blended without any effort at all. It just, it just happened naturally. And there really wasn't, uh, anything we had to do. It just, everyone fit together. Like we were all supposed to be together from the beginning. Um, so at this point, kind of the future of where I'm at now, um, I'm just loving life and living my best life with my my best friend and my knight in shining armor and just enjoying a quiet kind of simple beautiful life with our families um and enjoying the blessings that come from from having such a wonderful family um so i've got advice to share but i could share advice all day every day but i i'm sure richard has probably has some questions so no. why don't you ask away richard and we'll kind of go from there Share your advice. I, that's my impression is let's keep you talking, Jake. This is great. Okay. Awesome. Um, so it's a little bit, it's kind of a little bit scattered, I'll be honest, but <laughs> I've had a few weeks to really think through this. So I've had many, many impressions come about what to share and whatnot. So some of it may kind of seem off balance, but we'll just kind of go with it. Um, I think my first piece of advice for really anyone, um, but especially for uh, my brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ plus community is seek personal revelation. Um, I understand that for some, that can be a sensitive topic depending on where they're at with their faith journey. Um, but I have always found that if I quiet my mind and ask the Lord to guide me to where I need to go, that he's also, he's always been fantastic and he will guide me where I need to go and respond to me. Um, the second piece of advice uh, is what can others and allies do to help um, members of the LGBTQ community be present and feel safe in, in church situations? Uh, and the, I guess really the best way I can describe this or think about this is uh, something that uh, President Ballard said. This was, I believe, at a BYU um, a BYU conference not long ago. And he simply said this, we need to listen to and understand what our LGBT brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. Certainly, we must do better than we have done in the past so that all members feel they have a spiritual home where their brothers and sisters love them and where they have a place to worship and serve the Lord. And um, I, I'm, I mean, I absolutely agree with President Ballard, but I think that's a very key key part of it is realizing that we are all a part of the same family and that just as children of God, we should always be welcoming and inviting to others, regardless of sexual orientation, race, any of anything that we should always be viewing each other as 
brothers and sisters and taking care of each other as such. Um, as far as kind of approaching trials in life, um, there's a scripture from Jacob in the Book of Mormon that's always kind of served me well um, and has been kind of my guiding light as I've needed it. Uh, it's Jacob chapter 2, verse 8, and it says, And it supposeth me that they have come up hither to hear the pleasing word of God, yea, the word which healeth the wounded soul. Um, that I think that speaks a lot uh, to my life in general. The scriptures or um, words of prophets and apostles have always been my my guiding light, what I turn to when I'm not sure what to do. And those are the things that have really, really helped me and blessed my life is just simply turning to the word of God or turning to God to get answers. Um, I think it comes probably as no surprise at this point, uh, especially if uh, you're a regular listener to, to Richard's wonderful podcast, that there are a lot of very wounded LGBTQ souls out there in the world. Um, and one of the things I constantly think of is what, what can I help? What can I do better? How can I help um, these wonderful brothers and sisters to really make their lives better and help them see how loved they, they really are? Because I think a lot of times they're, they just don't see how loved and cared for um, they are. At least that's, that's at points how I felt. Um, you know, of course, there's, there's many out there who are also closeted like I was that are trying to make it to the finish line without anyone knowing that part of their life. Um, and again, everyone's, everyone's journey is their own. Um, but for something like that, being able to search the scriptures and receive that personal revelation and understanding how God feels um, about each of his children has really been a prime, uh, a prime and key thing. Um, kind of, I guess, my fourth piece of advice, um, if you are gay, uh, whether out or closeted and considering a mixed orientation marriage, um, my my I guess my counsel would be to approach that with uh, with care and consideration and with um, with the Lord and um, with Heavenly Father's help to make that decision. Um, uh, I mean, some people can make it work. Fantastic. If that if that is their best path and that works great for them, I'm I'm grateful for those folks that are able to take that journey and and able to successfully navigate that. Um, for me, that was not the case. Um, but something that uh, when I look back in hindsight, I wish I would have been more open with myself just to be um, more straightforward, uh, just because the person or people that you're dating, um, if you're seriously consider considering marrying them or whatnot, um, it's an important part of your identity and who you are and can affect things later on. Um, so I, I always just recommend approaching a mixed orientation marriage um, with great care and consideration to make sure that uh, both, uh, both spouses are, are well aware and, and are committing together to, to go on that journey together. Um, I guess the, the fifth piece of advice is to remember that um, you are beautiful 
and you are exactly who Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ wants you to be. Uh, sexual orientation, any of it, all of it. Um, they don't make mistakes. And uh, anyone on the LGBTQ spectrum is not a mistake by any stretch. Um, I guess really just knowing that that you're loved. Um, God loves you. The Savior loves you. I love you. We're, a, you know, we're we're a band of brothers and sisters with a unique set of qualities and things that um, all of our brothers and sisters need, and we need each other along this journey. Um, all of us. Um, we're we're stronger when we're together, and only together are we going to create create Zion. And are we going to truly realize the, the strength of God's family? Um, yes. So, so my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, please know you're, you're loved. Um, I am more than happy to be a friend. If you need a friend, um, I'm happy to sit and listen. Uh, we're on this journey together and I will do whatever I can to, to help my fellow brothers and sisters navigate it safely and and with love in their heart. Um, just never forget that uh, you are a blessing to others around you and you're a lot stronger than than you think you are. Um, I didn't realize how strong I was truly until um, I look back on on my journey and where where my life is to this point and realized what strength it actually took to get to where I am today. Um, I think other than that, um, just, I, I don't know the meaning of all things. So like, like Nephi, I don't, um, but the one thing I do know is that God loves his children. And in the end, the atonement of Jesus Christ will make it all right. However, however that is going to look, it will be made right. And through that atonement, we've been, we've been guaranteed that. Um, by a, a loving savior and a loving heavenly father. Um, yeah, I think that's all my advice. I mean, I, again, I could go on for hours, but we'll, we'll stick with that. Um, great job, Jake. Thanks. Um, behalf of all of our listeners, um, a lot that would love to reach out through the mic or the headphones, wherever they are. And thank you for your courage to share your story. Um, uh, there'll be people that'll listen to this a couple of times. Um, your story is so full of maturity and grace and spiritual thoughtfulness, and you're in such a great place to share your story right now. Um, so respect for you. Listeners, as you know, I kind of write down things that stick out to me, and they may not be the same things as you, but um, this is not a... This is not something you said directly, but it's the theme of your whole story and your whole podcast. And it's something that I invite LGBTQ Latter-day Saints to do is you've got to write your own story. And it's great to listen to podcasts like Jake. And we have podcasts with people making a mixed orientation marriage work. And you were thoughtful enough to give grace to those, even though that isn't something that worked for you. And we have stories of people that are celibate. We have stories of people that are in same-sex marriages. And so if you're, I, I really love the idea before you hit these forks in the road of what is your going to be your path. 
of all these different options as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint, and often those forks in the road are kind of in your 20s, is you've got to write your own story and you've got to do that with your relationship with Heavenly Father. And I think it's great to listen to all these other stories. I think there's principles in Jake's story that apply to help you write your own story. And Jake quoted scriptures a lot and church leaders and just personal revelation. And, you know, I listened to a a gay Latter-day Saint at Gather, and she said at the end of the day, which is probably the next life, everybody that's been telling me how to leave my life is going to be gone and I'm going to stand before Jesus. And it's just going to be me and Jesus. And I have to account to Jesus. He is my judge for my mortality. And so there's power in that, in that visual. And, um, and so, yeah, I, we invite people, I always invite people to follow church teachings. Um, as you may know, I'm an active Latter-day Saint and, and f- invite people to follow church teachings. But at the end of the day, I honor personal revelation and I honor the idea you got to write your own story. And so you teach that really well. The next thing I wrote down is um, your kind comments about your former wife. And um, you, the fact you recognize you're alive because of her. And um, there's a lot of grace in this. I think I thought all marriages that didn't work, there's a hero and a villain and there's a bad, you know, a bad guy and a good guy. And now I recognize it's more complex than that. Often there's two really good people in a marriage that doesn't work. And it's not my job to figure out the backstory. It's my job just to love both unless there's, you know, trauma that's been created in somebody's life or a boundary that needs to be created. But I love the grace you give to your wife and I love her response when you came out or her maturity. I'm sure, you know, her first comments were about you, Jake, and about, um, you know, you've kept this to yourself your whole life and her maturity to recognize that, that this was really hard for you. And, and, but you also validate it's hard for her. So it's not like the whole conversations you had, once you came out, were about you and what can I do to help you? Because it changed her life. And uh, I know you recognize that, but I don't know if you're a former wife or listen to this podcast, but I think it's helpful for spouses, straight spouses, to sort of recognize the complexity of that. And, and I love the way you, everything you say is kind about your former wife. I love your bishop experience. You have great priesthood leader experience, except maybe that first one who was doing the best he could when he told you, don't tell anybody. Um, But that he was so sensitive to the spirit that in the temple, he knew that you would come out to him. But it's interesting, he didn't come, he didn't tell you that until you came out to him. He didn't out you and say, Jake, I know. And I thought that took, I generally like that, listeners, is, my impression is not to out people unless you really feel an impression is, you know, let them come out to you and create a safe environment. So they feel safe coming out to you. But most of the time there's exceptions that I think parents sometimes receive personal revelation to directly talk to their kid, maybe a spouse to another spouse. But I think the general advice I give is what your Bishop did is he held that. um, And he was prepared for that conversation. And then I love your stake president um, who kind of went down this worst case scenario and then helped you understand that's not the worst case scenario. And 
Either your bishop or your stake president, as they just let you self-determine your path forward, sold out church teachings to did to do that. They didn't. I think they they just said you've got to, you know, self-determine your path forward, and I'll I'll walk with you. And I don't. So I think your priestly leaders just did a great job. And I think it's better when you own your own story. Back to this idea, everybody in your life is going to be gone. Well, maybe not your partner. You know, I hope your partner Brandon's with you in the next life. It sounds like he's your knight in shining armor. And I love the idea that we um, get to be with people we love in the next life. And I don't know how that works out, but it's a hope I'm certain you have. Um, So listeners, those were some of the things that, um, that kind of popped out to me. Um, But my heart is just, I'm also moved that you're not just bitter and angry at the church. Um, I don't know if you've had some of that and have gotten through that, but there's a lot of people, you know, if you were straight, (laughs) you'd still be in that bishopric. You might be a bishop. You might be able to just serve in the church and not have to live this two-face dichotomy that you were struggling with um, that led to suicidal ideation. So um, there's a side of me that mourns that because of your sexual orientation, something you can't control, that you don't have the same opportunities as straight people do. And that could make you angry. And there's not a place for you in the church if you want to be with your knight in shining armor. Um, So I validate the complexity of that. And I also admire that you have been able to not, and I'm sure there's been some tough times, (laughs) but you seem to have, have have this spiritual maturity and this under and I love journaling and I love you continue to read the scriptures and I love that you're connected to your faith and also found home in another faith. Um, and I just admire you doing that and um, respect for you. Not everybody's able to do that. And if you're not able to do that, that's okay. Um, pain and anger, anger's pain's kind of a primary emotion that can lead to anger. And that can lead over time to to peace, and um, and that often comes through Jesus and His ability to heal hearts. And so, I don't know how much of that's been your story, but respect for you. And then going to the baptism of your son and your brother-in-law's doing the ordinances, or at least one of them, and you're holding the mic, and that's very different than you know what your hopes were for your two sons that you love and. I just recognize the complexity of that and and sit with you in the pain of that while you honor your son and you're proud of your son. So you're holding all these paradoxes at the same time, Jake. It's really remarkable um, that you're able to sort of, there's a book that's come out called Both Things Can Be True by Kate Holbrook. And it's not really a directly addressing LGBTQ, but it's sort of a, that you can hold paradoxes and you're good at that. Um, other thoughts that come to your mind that you'd like to share after just going through the things I shared? Yeah, I mean, my my life moving forward is definitely gonna definitely gonna look different. Um, I it's it's interesting to me to look at my life now and realize how much peace I feel. That's probably one of the things that. Um, I think the word startling actually is is a pretty good descriptor. Um, I I have been pleasantly startled that I have felt 
um, so much peace in my life because that's that's just not how I understood peace to be. I always understood peace that if you're going to have peace, you had to be living a righteous life in the church. And as, as I've started to grow and really pay attention to how I feel, I realized that, I mean, there's only, there's only one person who can provide that peace and it's the savior. And, um, I'm, it's interesting that at this point, I, I am more certain now than ever before of who he is and how he feels about me. And that's one thing that, um, I'm, I'm very grateful for, um, because, you know, there, there were definitely many, many, many tearful days, um, many days of anger along the journey. Um, and I'm sure there will still be many more. Um, but at the end of the day, I know that I, that I just, I, again, kind of stick to the basics. I know I have a savior and a heavenly father who love me for exactly who I am, um, that I'm not a mistake. And that I have, um, I have just as much potential and just as much um, ability to have a beautiful, wonderful life as as anybody else. Um, and that's that's really what's kind of uh, spoken to me, and the thing that I always uh, look for in my life. Um, it's kind of interesting. I I thought about mentioning this, and I didn't. So uh, now that I feel prompted to do so, I'm going to share it. Um, so about a year, roughly a year, year and a half ago, um, I decided to give uh, life coaching a try, um, which was actually a very positive experience. In fact, I think I I actually progressed better and did better as a result of that than I did with traditional therapy. Um, but one of the things my uh, my life coach first did uh, after we just did some basic getting acquainted is he had me basically write my own, uh, my life statement, what I wanted it to look like. Um, and so he gave me kind of an, an outline and said, you know, basically utilize this as your framework and then plug in whatever speaks to you the most. And uh, so I did that. And then we talked about it and kind of saw some similar words that I had used again or themes. And so I put it in a graphic and I was, and the graphic basically makes the size of the font based on the number of times it's mentioned. So I plugged in my entire statement. And when it developed, right in the center, big old red letters was the word love. And I I think about that every day. In fact, I have the graphic posted all over the place um, in my house. And that's that's kind of where where I've landed in life is I'm like, I know I will be happy and successful if I am willing to love, willing to be loved, and willing to love others as Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ love them. It's really powerful. Uh, I love the idea that you're not a mistake. Um, when I was new in the space, that was a little uncomfortable for me because I sort of assumed that Heavenly Father you know, would say, well, something went wrong here. It's kind of a reality of mortality. Some of my children aren't straight and that's sort of going to be fixed in the next life. And you're kind of living in a fallen world. And that sort of fit my theology in some sense. But now I, 
really feel strongly, listeners, that um, LGBTQ people look at need to look in the mirror and feel that how they feel and who they are is not a mistake. And just like straight people don't look in the mirror and feel that they're being straight is a mistake. And what I think that does is I think Satan's, I think, greatest tool is to separate us from the love of God by creating shame. And sometimes that's sin-related, but sexual orientation is not sin-related. It's just who you are. And um, there shouldn't be shame about, because I think then if you feel you're a mistake, and this is why your podcast is so powerful, is you might think God doesn't love you, and then you separate yourself from God, and you have these feelings that are outside of your control, and you think, well, that shows God doesn't love me because he doesn't love people like me. And then you don't read your scriptures, and you don't look for personal revelation. and so I think one of the things that's, and to me, listeners, that doesn't change church doctrine, just puts everybody on the same moral footing. Jake and all his straight Jordan High, you know, I'm being a little silly now. Your friends back at um, Jordan High, I just know that high school, so I'm drawn to that. Um, and so I just think that's such an important thing. And and Jake's story is, you know, I learned that because I t- asked Heavenly Father how he felt about me, and I developed this relationship with Heavenly Father. I think that's so powerful. I love your advice to couples in mixed orientation marriages. As I've mentioned, we've done podcasts with successful mixed orientation marriages. And I was, I kind of had a rebuke of the spirit first time I did one of those a long time ago, because I assumed all those failed because all I was aware of those that failed. But then I realized they can be authentic love stories. But Jake's advice is the advice I would give is Talk to your partner before you get married about your sexual orientation and then let both of you get personal revelation. And then you're both, I think, on the same, you know, sort of foundation. And one of the things that I think is improving in society is that people are able to come out earlier because there's just more positive messages. If you were born 10 years ago, 10 years later, and we're 25, your story might be a little different. You might have been able to accept this. earlier. Um, I don't know if that's true. I don't want to create a correlated narrative, but, you know, I, there's a couple, you know, openly gay missionaries that I'm on their missionary email list and they're out to everybody before their mission. They're out to everybody on their mission. And, um, I just admire their courage, um, that probably wouldn't be possible 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And they just, this is who they are and they own it and their companions seem to be comfortable with it. And it's part of, you know, we can reach more people because, you know, we're just different. We look at our differences as a way to bring more people to the church. And that's a whole nother subject, <laughs> but I do like that people are able to accept this self about them and there's role models and there's people like Jake that step forward. So younger Latter-day Saints, can consider this, and maybe the next thing they do is just do what Jake did, is you talk to Heavenly Father. Now, another thing I wrote down is, you um, you know, a few years ago, I got a call from somebody, and he didn't tell me his name, but he says, I'll never be on your podcast. And I go, well, why? And I, he said, I'm not out, and I'm not coming out. And I thought about that conversation for, and I still think about it, because here I am talking about it, I thought, that is an authentic path also. So if you're, and Jake's nodding his head, if you're listening to this podcast, and I don't think Jake wants you to feel this way, and you say, I can't, I just don't have the courage to be like Jake. 
Um, I just can't do that. I just don't know how to do that. It's too late to do that. The, I, I would say that's okay. It's back to you've got to write your own story and feel comfortable with that. And if you don't feel like you can come out, I think at least I did generally advise you to invite you to come out to Heavenly Father and see how he feels about you and use the Savior's atonement not to make you straight, but to heal your heart. A lot of the things Jake said would apply to your situation, the scriptures that he shared. Um, but you've got to still write your own story. And if your story has not come out, that's okay. Don't feel shame. This is the non-shaming podcast. So don't feel shame because you can come out. Jake can. Jake's not wanting you to feel that way, I think. Um, but maybe Jake's story still helps you to feel better about yourself and that you're not a mistake and God loves you. And you can feel God's love, um, even if you're walking this road. And maybe Jake's story also helps you not to feel suicidal and recognize that your life's worth living. Any th- so that's kind of my last thoughts. I want to, how would people contact you, um, Jake, um, on, on social yeah. media? What's the best way for people that want to find you? Yeah, so um, I'm on Facebook, and I'll send you the link to my profile there. Same with Instagram. Um, I mean, feel free to DM me. Okay. Um, yeah, that's so, probably the the easiest way to get a hold of me. <laughs> so the show notes will link to Facebook and Instagram, and I'll tag you when I post it on social media. If you're on social media, you can just, if you're following me on Facebook or Instagram, I'll tag you. Um, any, any other thoughts you'd like to share that come to mind as we've been kind of talking together? You know, the only thing that kind of keeps coming back to me um, is just reiterating that everyone everyone is loved by Heavenly Father. Um, and I think that even applies to folks who um, don't believe in God anymore. And, you know, again, that's their story. And, and that's great if that's what works for them. Um, but I think the, the most important thing, if anything, that I, I would love listeners to walk away with is just an understanding that they're loved. Um, if if they're having a hard time with uh, their relationship with God, you can be loved loved by me, because I I feel very strongly that we've we've really got to band together and uh, do a better job of helping each other out and letting us each know how much we how much we are worthy of just being alive and just being a person in this world. Um, Great advice. So Jake Yates, I'm so glad you've been on the podcast. Brandon, if you're listening, I'm glad you found each other. I just have learned to be excited for couples when they find each other, straight couples or couples in same-sex marriages. And I just leave any judgment at the feet of our Savior. And it's just simple for me. I just love people unless it's creating harm in my life or others, but you and Brandon sharing your life together um, isn't creating harm for anybody. It's legal in our country. And so I think it's, I'm just glad you found each other. And I I hope your um, future is happy together. And I'm really grateful, Jake, for you being on the podcast. And I invite the listeners just to act on your impressions on if you're an ally or LGBTQ, what Jake shares can help you on your individual road. And this is Jake Yates and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, Love. Mm-hmm.